you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. We're studying the book of Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah chapter 5. Just want to remind you, in case you haven't been studying the book of Nehemiah the last few days or weeks, just let me remind you of what we're about. Nehemiah left a secure and highfalutin job back in Babylon in order to go to a place that was distressed, a place that was in trouble, and to take on the leadership of a bunch of people who for years had neglected the obvious task of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. We said that Nehemiah, when he learned of conditions in Jerusalem, did the right thing. He began with prayer. He was deeply moved by what he learned, and he began fasting and praying and seeking God, and he kept it up day after day, night after night, for months. But when spring came, God opened a door for him to do something sacrificial, and that was to leave his job in Babylon and go to Jerusalem and provide the leadership that was needed in order to get people to rise up and address the problem. And of course, as soon as they did, all kinds of other problems began to surface. When they began to do the right thing, there were, of course, enemies who did the wrong thing. And in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, we saw that the opposition was really strong. In chapter 4, we saw, again, strong opposition. If you keep reading after chapter 5, we're going to be in chapter 5 today, if you keep reading on beyond chapter 5, you're going to see that the opposition continues. If you are endeavoring to do what God calls you to do, you can pretty much count on the fact that there will be opposition. But what happens here in chapter 5 is that some of the problems that have to be dealt with are not the people out there. They're the people in here. And that's where we pick up today. Nehemiah chapter 5. This is God's word. Now, the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, and we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. 
When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do just as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, O oh my God, for all I have done for these people. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Folks, it's a great privilege for me to be able to come each evening and bring God's word on these stations. I am so thankful that I have the opportunity to do that. But if you listen regularly, you know that my life day-to-day -day is involved in trying to minister to kids who come from very difficult situations. I want to ask you to please help us. Contact us at wvr.org and find out how you can be part of the miracle. wvr.org. Please help us help these children. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown where Jesus well, the first thing I want us to see is that in the midst of trying to accomplish a task, there were other things going on behind the scenes. Nehemiah had been focused in on getting this wall built. 
All hands on deck. Come on, everybody. Let's get this done. And he's got everybody out there, and they've got enemies who literally, we said last time, are out to destroy them. They want to kill them. That's what they're dealing with. And in the midst of that, Nehemiah's focus is like a laser. It's great. But suddenly, the sounds of the outcry of people who are suffering reaches his ears. And he realizes we've got another problem here besides a broken down wall. The fabric of our society is not just about keeping the outsiders outside. We've got a problem with those inside. We've got a problem with the way people are treating each other. And it's not enough to just build a wall and say, okay, now we're ready, we're going to defend ourselves. No. We've got problems in the house. We've got problems in our families. We've got problems in our churches. We've got problems in the way we relate to one another. That's what was going on here. And so Nehemiah, when he heard this, now I, you know, I got to tell you, I was all set up for something else. Listen. The men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we're the same flesh and blood as our countrymen and our sons and daughters are as good as theirs, yet we've had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. Is it okay to get angry? Sometimes we need to get angry. Some things ought to make us angry. Our problem is we tend to get angry about things we shouldn't get angry about, and we tend not to get angry about things we should get angry about. Anger should be about things that make God angry. And this guy doesn't say, I was very angry and I said to them, stop your whining and complaining. We've got a wall to build. That's not what he said. He stopped what he was doing in order to deal with a very serious problem. And the reason this is a serious problem is because the people who were mistreating their neighbors, their countrymen, their relatives, the people who were doing that, were not just being unkind, they were sinning against God. Look at what he says in verse 9. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? When you and I do not treat our brothers and sisters the way we should, we anger God and we bring reproach in front of people who don't know him. One of the reasons why a lot of folks are not interested in coming to church is because when they see us during the week, they say, you're just like we are. You're chasing the same dreams we are. If the stuff that Christians are chasing is the same stuff the world is chasing, that doesn't satisfy, then why in the world would the church be a shining light to people who are just the same as us. I've told you before, and I'll say it again, the bumper sticker that bothers me most is not something promoting Darwin. I don't expect those people to get it right. 
The bumper sticker that bothers me most is the stupid one that says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. If you've got that on your car, please scrape it off after the service. Because it's not true. Now, to say Christians aren't perfect, that's true. If, if you want to put that on the back of your car, that's fine. If you want to have a bumper sticker that says Christians are forgiven, I don't think that's the greatest witness in the world, but that'd be okay. It's a true statement. But to say we're just forgiven, not true at all. Not even close. Because when a person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, he's not just forgiven. He's made a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so if you're thinking that Christianity is just a matter of living like the world, but you don't have to pay for it, because Jesus did, well, then you've completely misunderstood what the gospel's all about. When we receive Jesus, we do receive forgiveness, but we also receive His Holy Spirit who begins to change us from the inside out so that increasingly we are conformed to the likeness of Christ. And in that context, folks, we don't behave like the world anymore. I'm not saying that we instantly become sinless. I'm saying that we are now on a journey. We are followers of the way. We are trusting in Jesus not just to forgive us, but to transform us. And so now we have a different set of goals. We have a different set of priorities. And out of reverence for God, we live differently. We're not everything we're going to be, but we're not what we used to be. And so when he heard what some of the Jews had been doing to some of the other Jews, he didn't say, now I don't know, maybe we ought to form a study committee because I'm not sure that this is an okay thing. He immediately declared to them, this is evil. And folks, these folks had heard the reading of the law. The temple had already been rebuilt. The law had been read. And these folks knew that God had said, you're not to do that. Let me give you a few scriptures. Exodus 22, 25. God said this. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like a money lender. Charge him no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Did you hear that? That's what God said. That's the law of God. Look at Leviticus chapter 25, beginning in verse 35. This is God's word. If one of your countrymen becomes poor and is unable to support himself among you, help him as you would an alien or a temporary resident so he can continue to live among you. Do not take interest of any kind from him, but fear your God so that your countrymen may continue to live among you. You must not lend him money at interest or sell him food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If one of your countrymen becomes poor among you and sells himself to you, do not make him work as a slave. He is to be treated as a hired worker or a temporary resident among you. He is to work for you until the year of Jubilee. 
Then he and his children are to be released, and he will go back to his own clan and to the property of his forefathers. Because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. You see, was this a matter that was unclear? No, God's word was very clear. But some people had decided that they could do what they pleased and enrich themselves thereby. Let me just tell you something. If you ever for a moment think that you can gain an advantage by disobeying God, you are listening to the deceiver. You know what the Proverbs says about people who take advantage of other people? They end up with a mouth full of gravel. That's a nice image, isn't it? That's what God promises. God says, I'll see to it. I'll make it happen. I'll make sure that what you thought was going to be an advantage turns out to your hurt. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11. If there's a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near so that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin." Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. Now before we look at some other scriptures together, and we're gonna, if you want to go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 23, we're going to look at that in a moment. But I want you to see this. God says there will always be poor people in the land. That's not only there in the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus repeats it in the New Testament. Now, if Jesus didn't repeat it in the New Testament, it would still be true because it's there in Deuteronomy. But Jesus says you're always going to have poor people. The question is, how do you treat poor people? Do you give them opportunities or do you exploit them? These folks were exploiting them. They were taking advantage and saying, you know, I can get something more out of this. God hates it when you exploit the poor and God will defend the poor and people who are greedy and trying to take advantage of poor people are going to get struck down by God. Guaranteed. He promises it. Deuteronomy chapter 23, beginning in verse 19. Do not charge your brother interest, whether on money or food or anything else that may earn interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but not a brother Israelite, so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. Now, lest you think that that means it's okay to exploit foreigners, that isn't what God's saying, because the verses we read earlier, God said that if a fellow among you becomes poor, you're to treat him the way you would a sojourner, a foreigner in your midst. Those aren't the people he's talking about. He's saying you can do trade with people who are not part of the covenant community, and you can, in that context, invest in such a way that you make interest on your money. But usury is always universally condemned by God. 
I'll give you these references. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 8 and 13 and 17. Ezekiel 22, 12. One of the things that God holds up as an example of what he hates is people who take advantage of the poor by charging them interest. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Look at Luke chapter 6, verses 34 through 36. See if you think Jesus is serious about this. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And so, in Acts chapter 2, when people got converted, what happened? Within the body of believers, they began sharing with one another. So that the result was, in Acts 2, 42 through 47, and Acts 4, 34 and following, there were no poor among them. Because if anybody was in need, it was met by the body. In other words, they loved each other in such a practical way that the unbelievers could see a profound difference in the way these people lived and in the way these people loved. Now, of course, that was just in the book of Acts. You know, that was kind of in the early days as the church was growing and so forth and so on. Well, no, actually, the body of Christ is still supposed to be a covenanted body of believers who are ready to lay down their lives for one another. I can't make sure that all the children of the world go to bed having had a good meal today. I can't make that happen. But in addition to providing nutrition for my family, to the extent that God gives me resources, I can make a difference in the lives of others. I can show hospitality. I can give stuff away. I can help make a difference as God directs. Jesus was talking with a fellow about that. And he uh, wanted to get himself off the hook, so he asked a question. Well, who is my neighbor? Who do I really have the responsibility to help? Jesus told a story about a fellow who got robbed, and he's lying in the ditch on the Jericho Road, and two respectable religious Jews passed by on the other side. It wasn't that they didn't see him. It's that they didn't want to get involved. But a Samaritan saw the man lying there. And he stopped what he was doing. And he invested his own time, his own energy, his own resources at the risk of his own life in order to take care of that man's needs. We're supposed to live like that. When the problem is right in front of you, and it's not just somebody who's going down the Jericho Road and looks like his sandals aren't quite as new as yours, so you think, gosh, why should I have newer sandals than him? Here, buddy, let's swap sandals. That's not what happened. What happened was a man who was in deep distress. His life was in danger. He had been wronged by others. It wasn't somebody who had just had too much to drink lying beside the road. It was somebody who was suffering from 
as a result of the sin of others. And that person needed to be rescued. And the Samaritan recognized, I need to do this. Folks, you and I cannot eliminate poverty. But God will put people in our lives who are going to need our help. And when he does, we need to step up and do whatever God tells us to do. And it won't be the same thing for everybody. Some people need to experience some pain before they're going to be willing to receive the help they need. And if you just give them money, you're not helping them, you're hurting them. Seek to do good to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we don't do that, then we may get a wall built, but it'll be the same on the inside as it is on the outside. And that's really not going to bring God glory. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.